Welcome to Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Yes, it's true. I'm Kri Caputo, a writer and funny person and a friend to the universe. You sure are, and a friend to me. Hi, I'm Dr. Moy McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist, a folklorist, and uh, an author. Today, I am adding <gasps> that little bit. I'm an author. An author of the universe. <laughs> Truly. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Um, today, I am all of those things. Corinne and I are um, friends to the universe in the closest place we have been so far oh, yeah. to the universe. Like, to the to the rest of it. Can't believe we made it. We are on our first extraterrestrial, tri- extraplanetary trip. Mm-hmm. We are on the International Space Station. Boy, is it gorgeous. It is narrow and long and kind of hideous inside, but mm-hmm. uh, the view can't be beat. Right. Not comfortable no. physically. Um, the food kind of sucks. There's there's <laughs> beeping around, but yeah, Corinne is right. The The view's just unbeatable. Um, that that horizon, uh. the, the moon, coming out from behind is it's gorgeous this is what every screensaver is based on this is what everyone wants to see so thrilling to be here and to talk about today we have an amazing guest it's dr moya mcteer because <laughs> we have had other guest episodes where we talk about their books so i'm so excited to talk today about moya's yay thank um, you corinne so if any listeners don't know moya is the author of the milky way an autobiography of our galaxy it's charming and fascinating it's biography of our galaxy from its birth to its eventual death all told from the pov of the actual universe. <laughs> it was named Best Book of 2022 by Publishers Weekly and ScienceNet. It was named Best Audiobook of 2022 by BookPage. And Moya, you read the audiobook, right? I did, with my own yeah. voice box. Um, and now it's available in paperback. <gasps> Yay! Which is so exciting. So exciting. I, I remember when I got the email saying that they were, like, running out of hardcover copies, so they were going to start printing the paperback. Uh. And it felt so good. Because um, it was pretty quick. It's, that feels like such a um, significant moment in an author's life where it's like there's a second printing and it's like in paperback. Yeah. I get to see it in multiple forms. And now mm-hmm. truly so many forms because some of the foreign translations are coming out. And they, yes. they send me a, a copy of it, everyone that's come out. So I now have a shelf uh, that's just going to have like all of the translations uh, I love of the that. book in my home. I'm so excited. And I am, I'm going to ask you about the translation. I'm going to ask you about all of it. But the most pressing question of all is, do you prefer hardcover or paperback? <gasps> Hard-hitting questions right out the gate. Uh-huh. I, if it's a book that I would see as kind of a prized possession, like if it's part mm-hmm. of a series that I really love and I know I'm going to come back to it, um, or if it's gotten really good reviews from people I trust, then I will buy it in hardback. Yeah, same. Um, like I want, I want the full majesty of the book. Yeah. But um, if it's like a light summer read, if I'm getting it to read on a plane or a train, and I want to be able to like not carry a lot of weight, I'll do a paperback. Yes, it is about like travel for mm-hmm. me too. I have purchased my favorite books in hardcover and paperback, where it's like I'm oh. gonna read the paperback over and over, but I'm gonna keep the hardcover like pristine. <gasps> Oh, I love that. Like a true collector. Yeah. And I and I think it's just because I'm a very messy person. I 
frequently will like put my coffee in my tote bag and like I'm like oh look I'm hands free and then I'm like (laughs) every week shocked that there's coffee on everything I own so Mm -hmm. I have to buy doubles of of everything yeah and keep keep one real clean (laughs) I uh, do kind of think though that a book is not meant to be kept pristine. Like, I feel I, like books are meant yes. to be used. All of my favorite ones, I'm proud of how dirty they are because it shows totally. that I've like, taken them out and I've let them live a life. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm of two minds about it. There were, I read so many books as a, as a kid and I remember lending out some books to my neighbors because yeah. they were like asking for it and I would always be so mad when they returned it oh, to yeah. me like slightly messier than, I was like, if anyone's going to mess this up, it's me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you are not allowed. Because you have the bond with the book. They don't yeah. have the bond with the book. Exactly. I remember once someone gave me a book back and they didn't return like the jacket of the book. <laughs> and I was like... Rude. I was. I can't believe this has happened. They yeah. took the, the like book's identity away. That's like wiping off a human's face. Why would you do that? I'm like half the that. Like this is this is useless to mm-hmm. me now. And then you can use the, the jacket as the bookmark. Exactly. I'm like, this serves mm-hmm. a purpose. You needed to mm-hmm. give this back. But I, I've loved reading forever. I know, I mean, so many people do. It's not like the most unique <laughs> trait. But have you always wanted to write a book yeah um so my my mom when she had me she was in a phd program for literature um and so she was like reading for her qualifying exam like all of the uh, the dickinsons and the thoreaus and other heavy hitters in american literature and she read them to me and she would leave them out and I would play with them like they were my first toys so I I love that reading from a very young age and was a good writer because I sat in on my mom's composition lectures (laughs) for years that she was giving to college students and I remember in middle and high school I really wanted to write a book but I always gave up after a few chapters I either got tired of it or school and other activities got in the way Mm -hmm. and I felt like if I was just given this, the time and the space to write a book, I could do it really well. But I had all my other stuff to focus on. Sure. Um, and so in college, when I needed to write a senior thesis that sat at the intersection of the two of my two fields that I studied, astronomy and folklore, this astronomer named Andrew Baker, he's a professor at Rutgers, he just like casually joked, oh, why don't you write a sci-fi novel? And I was like, you know what, that's actually a great idea. And I did. And because it was for school um, and like my grade and my graduation status depended on me finishing this book, I did. And it felt really Mm -hmm. good. But no one ever saw that. Like it's available on a Google Drive on on my website. And I always kind of wanted to scratch that itch of getting a book published. Um, But I didn't know how to make that happen. And I wasn't about to do that in grad school until I like got a cold email from a literary agent who asked if I had ever thought of writing a book. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And because I had his support um, and his connections, then it made it like feasible for me. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think somebody who can also help you navigate this completely different industry and world and like the protocols are sort of like I've also I've also written a book my husband's his book is coming out in October like we have talked about this a lot like Mm -hmm. before we click record on the pod (laughs) like where we are in like the book world but it's so specific and different and it's like not the fun and joy of of just like writing the story there's a Mm -hmm. lot of like pre-production and post-production that goes into something like this so it's nice when there's somebody else there to guide you through those parts and you can really focus on 
the part you're great at. Yeah, the writing part. Like that's yeah, that exactly. should be my job is the writing, and a good literary agent will make sure that that is your only job. Yes, um, I will say though that I never expected my first published book to be a popular science book. My whole life, I've been reading fantasy novels. Like uh-huh. I thought that I was going to publish a fantasy novel. Yeah. I didn't even really like sci-fi books. So the fact that I wrote that in college was like a, a weird thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do plan after a long career of hosting science TV shows and generating cool content and art, I do want to retire to write fantasy novels. Oh, so I love that. That's the goal. I was going to ask if like you've been in academia for so long and academic writing is so not the book that Mm. you've published, which is great. But did you think that you were going to ever go down the kind of academic route of publishing? No, absolutely not. I knew in my second year of grad school that I didn't want to stay in academia Mm -hmm. and that I didn't want to keep doing my own research. Uh, And so I started my own science communication business before I even graduated. Um, yeah. I, I got the deal to write this book a year and a half before I defended my PhD. Yeah, we met, you came on my show astronaut training when you were still in school. And yeah. I think even then, I remember talking in the green room and you were like, this is not where I'm going to stay. This is kind of mm-hmm. just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I didn't enjoy academia was because of the tension between academic writing and my very colloquial writing style. I had conversations with my advisor uh, about papers that we were working on together where he told me my writing was too colloquial. Yeah. And it was really helpful for me to be writing this book at the same time as my dissertation because it was similar content. Uh, I wrote my dissertation about the Milky Way galaxy specifically, you know, mm-hmm. the planets and the stars moving around it. But my dissertation had to be so dry and clinical. Yeah. And that made me think about this topic in a dry and clinical way. And I think one of my strengths as a science communicator is that I can share my passion for yeah. astronomy with other people. And I can't do that when I have to speak like a like an academic robot. Right. I do think you're very good at injecting enthusiasm to things that are famously dry. And <laughs> I you. have wondered why academia... So it, I had a job in college where I did data entry at a research hospital. And it was, like, Ooh. a great gig for a college kid to, like, walk over to the hospital, do, and then, like, go back to school. Um, mm-hmm. But they were often, like, researching and publishing papers, and they would, like, be, like, l- little work lunches where they would, like, celebrate it, and I'd see their posters for, like, wherever they were going. And I was always like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> the sentences and the titles of these things, it was just, like, I mean, it wasn't for me, of course, but it still feels like, why not? Why are we not making this more accessible and more mm-hmm. interesting? Yeah. And that's what I've loved so much about getting to know science communicators of like people who are great at bridging that gap. Because they try to train it out of us. Yeah. They do. Um, they don't want us to write in a in a really accessible way. They want us to write for other subject matter experts. Yeah. I did not like that at all. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Mm-hmm. So good for you to, to, to say no. Okay, so how did the Milky Way start for you? You were writing it in tandem with your thesis. Did the idea for it come before or after that agent reached out? After. Mm -hmm. We met and we brainstormed a few ideas of topics. Um, I said, you know, I I primarily study exoplanets, but I've done 
projects on stellar evolution and and also galaxies. So I was like giving him the the different scales of things that I felt like I could write a book about. Yeah, uh, and we cross referenced that list of topics with what popular science books had recently been published. Sure. There had been an exoplanet one kind of recently, and there was one about stars that was in the works. Like he he knew that because he's embedded within the community. And then we just landed on writing something about the Milky Way because that was a broad enough topic that I could bring a lot in a lot of my expertise. Um, I am technically a Milky Way scientist. Like my, right. my the words Milky Way are in my dissertation and people like don't like don't know about yeah. the Milky Way really. So it seemed to to meet that good trifecta of of good qualities. Um, writing it from the perspective though, like that idea actually came later. Um, the agent and I had already decided to write about the Milky Way and we were working on the proposal to send to editors and publishing houses. And I I was kind of in a funk because I, I wanted my proposal to stand out. I wanted yeah. it to be weird and quirky in the way that I am weird and quirky in my psychom. And I couldn't figure out a way to write about the Milky Way and do that. And then there was this weird confluence of things. I was reading a book called The Raven Tower that was written from the perspective of like a, a rock deity mm -hmm. and it just came into my brain the little kernel the little thought of what if you didn't write it what if the milky way itself wrote it mm -hmm. and i tested it out at an open mic night at caveat oh fun yeah um, which is the venue where corinne hosted her astronaut training show and i tested it out with that audience which was admittedly very friendly none of them booed me off the stage for telling them about a book a science book written from the galaxy's pov and then i i asked my agent and he also didn't laugh in my face so that ended up being the proposal and it was it had mixed reviews from editors mm -hmm. um, a lot of people a lot of editors that we sent it to thought that the idea was too childish oh interesting. Um, which was not a problem for them um they asked if i could write it for children and i uh -huh. said no my work is not for children yeah this can be an adult book absolutely yeah but we found a couple editors that agreed with us and one of them was so cool she plays D&D &D. she had like purple hair um I was in love and so she ended up uh, being the editor I love that yeah it's it's especially helpful when you get also get paired up with an editor who gets the mm -hmm. vision and instead of guiding it to like what the market might be and in, more interested in it's like what is this what is the best version of this idea Mm -hmm. But I think she also saw that the idea had great market appeal. Yeah. It just wasn't something that had been done before. Mm -hmm. So the, there was a gap. There was a gap. And they were yeah. wary. Like these media industries are, are actually quite wary of Very doing cautious. something that is new. Yes. Um, they, they want to know that they can find an audience with it. Um, yeah. And that's one of the, the things that they do take into account when you're proposing a book uh, is like your personal platform. Yeah. And I think that if I had had a smaller platform when I proposed the, the book, I probably wouldn't have gotten a deal. And even then, totally. I think I had only like 5,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah, I have heard from other writers and hopeful writers that that has been playing a role in the pitch of like, what is your personal following like? Mm -hmm. But it is smaller than what I would guess. I'm like, okay, you need 1 million TikTok followers. Right. And they're like, no. You just kind of have to establish yourself as, like, some kind of niche person. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I think that can be both frustrating and also great if you have it. Yeah. 
Um, but when when people don't recognize the the gem, um, yeah. this, this new unseen gem that, that you have, it's really frustrating. I I have felt that too, especially when it's an idea I'm personally excited about. I, I can often think, okay, I'm wrong or I might be the problem. But then when it's an idea I'm so excited about, I'm like, you're so silly. <laughs> like, how do you not see what yes. this is? <laughs> yes. Even now, like if I get a, I mean, my book came out years ago, but like there's a few people who like did not get the joke. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it doesn't phase me at all because I'm like, this is just, you're wrong. <laughs> and I can't apply I that to like everything in my life, which is so frustrating. But for this mm-hmm. specific thing, I can. Yeah, they're wrong. Okay, so the Milky Way has a very, the Milky Way, the character, or like mm-hmm. the voice of your book. It's a very distinct voice. And how did you land, how would you describe it? And how did you land <laughs> on that voice? Milky Way's a bitch. <laughs> my fa- one of my favorite reviews. Um, I- I'll probably just answer this question by telling you about some of the, the favorite reviews I read about Yes, yes. Um, so one of them said that the Milky Way was your um, bitchiest best friend, <laughs> which is great because, yes. um, yeah, the Milky Way is is very, like, classic East Coaster mm-hmm. in that it is not nice, but if you wait long enough and you look at its actions with generosity, it does seem kind. Yeah. Because the Milky Way does care a lot about us humans. It is very impressed with how far we've advanced technologically. It loves the stories that we've been telling about it in mythology for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So it has a soft spot for us, but is a total dick. Totally. Um, so your your bitchiest best friend. A lot of the um, news sites and, and like journals that couldn't say bitchy, they called it sassy. <laughs> I like that. Um, I got a lot of irreverent okay. um, as a description. But my favorite, my favorite review, I think it was on Goodreads, said, this is the book for you if you've ever wanted to be domed by the universe. That's so funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, yes. That's what we needed <laughs> in the proposal stage. Like, that's the blurb we needed. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had known. That's so funny. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. Um, uh, the Milky Way has no reason to care about us or be nice. It knows that it is larger and smarter and better at us at pretty much everything. But it wants us to know its story. Yeah, yeah. It wants, yeah. It wants you to not forget who it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Yeah, there's some, like, psychology um, that I, like, gave to the Milky Way's backstory where it's, like, it has this inferiority complex because it, like, really feels like it has to be a big, macho, strong galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it has been. Like, it's the biggest galaxy in the local group, but it, it has that insecurity. Uh, it has this, like, deep depression. That's that's the supermassive black hole. Um, that was, like, a weird metaphor that I put into the book, and I'm sure my editor was like, where did this come from? <laughs> it's relatable. Um, <laughs> this was not in the proposal. Well, yes, but when I wrote the proposal, it wasn't so- COVID, and I wasn't really depressed. So, <laughs> so there you go. It's changing with the times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you were writing it, well, I imagine that your writing process for school was very different than your writing process for this book. Like, what was your process for this book? Or was it similar? Um, I think my writing process is always pretty similar. Mm-hmm. I do a, a rough outline. Okay. Well, for the, for the book proposal, I had to have all of the chapters that I wanted to include yes. and summaries for those chapters. Yeah, so that, that, that was a big lift already. That surprised me when I was writing, too, of, like, the first deliverable is essentially this, a table of contents. Yep. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what if the book's not done? Like, what if I don't know? What if I'm going to figure out what it is as I'm going? Yeah, I think they, they know it's going to change. Yeah. I didn't include anything about mythology. Or I think maybe the mythology was all just one chapter in the mm-hmm. proposal instead of being these little mini chapters that are dispersed throughout the book. Yeah. They know it's going to change. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's fine. But I always start with a rough outline, just saying, like, what do I want to talk about here? And then... I Well, I guess first I do my research and then I do a rough outline, but I had done a whole PhD's worth of research yeah. by that point. So I didn't really have to do any extra research for this book, just like checking that I had the right numbers and everything. And then I sit for a long time, uh-huh. uh, especially for, for, well, for all of these. I have a special blanket. I have a special writing blanket. It's like sky blue and fuzzy. Aww. And I put it over my head and hold my laptop like very close to me and Mm -hmm. I make a little writing for it um, because I need to be isolated, especially to pretend to be a galaxy. And I sit and I think for a long time coming up with a perfect like opener and then I start Mm -hmm. um, and don't stop until I'm done. That seems like very disciplined. Uh, no, I don't (laughs) think so. It feels chaotic in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I have always been the type of person up until college I never wrote a second draft like what I okay what I wrote the first time was what I turned in and I got an A plus Mm -hmm. like that's that's the advantage of having a a mother who's a literature professor yeah not that I ever let her read my stuff no but you kind of there was a training that you grew up with yeah yeah yeah. I was actually terrified to let her help me with my homework because I wanted to know it was all me sure accomplishing it sure sure Um, But it it does feel very chaotic. It feels like I'm procrastinating a lot of the time. It's only in the last couple years or so that I have accepted that a lot of my creative process happens in my brain and it doesn't look like I'm doing any work, but I am, in fact, working on it. So then Mm -hmm. by the time I actually sit down, it's kind of ready to all come tumbling out. Yeah. This book definitely did have multiple drafts, though, and I did not respond well the first time I got feedback from, from my editor. I was like, what feedback do you mean? Is this is perfect. I'm so smart and witty. What do you mean? Yeah. No, I totally get that. I think especially with some, especially a book, it is so personal. And, mm-hmm. and when you're in that like literal or metaphorical fort of writing, it is like <laughs> an extension of you. So when anyone notes it, it just, for me, was very difficult to cope mm-hmm. with that feedback because it felt like an insult or like I'm failing in this way. Yeah. Which isn't true, but you're just like so, it is so vulnerable. <laughs> exactly. It is a part of the process for yeah. for everyone. You know, even snot-nosed little brats like me who think they don't <laughs> need a second draft, but it can be so hard. Uh, and that's why it's, mm-hmm. it's so important to have an editor that you trust. Um, yes. And respect. I think those are different things. Yeah. Um, because if I didn't respect her ability to write and edit, I wouldn't take her advice. Yeah. But totally. I like chose her because I, I did trust what yeah. she had to say. Yeah. And you want them. I think you want your editor to be better than you at yeah. editing <laughs> and better than you at this. So yeah. it's so in that initial like sting of like, I can't believe I've gotten a note on this kind of you're like okay at least it's from this person and not from like someone else right like if 
you know, my partner at the time when I was writing the book, if if he had given me that feedback, I would have been like, absolutely not. What do you what do you no. know? You don't know anything totally. about this topic or writing. I had handed in my manuscript when I first started dating my now husband and I was like so excited and I showed it to him and I remember he did give me a note on one page and I was just like, no, I'm not taking that <laughs> note. And I didn't. And I remember later when the book came out, he was like, this part's so funny. And I'm like, yeah, and you almost gave me a note to change that. <laughs> I'm so glad you yeah, stood your me ground too. for it. You didn't budge. Which has been so funny when he yeah. is now asking me for feedback <laughs> on his manuscript. And I'm like towing the line of like, should I change this to mm. make it more me? Or should I like, what's his? That's another thing. Giving feedback is right. really hard, I think, too. Yes, a good editor is not trying to make it sound like something they would write, yes. but the best version of what you would write. Yeah. I heard that early in my career of like, and I feel like most jobs have some element of editing in them or fe- giving feedback. It's, am I changing this to change it or am I changing this to make it better? And mm-hmm. I think you have to often be asking yourself oh, yeah. that. Yeah. It's something I can still struggle with because my instincts take over and I'm like, you know what would make this amazing? And then like (laughs) changing it all. (laughs) Hi, welcome to this episode's Midbreak. Moya is off looking at the gorgeous view of the ISS. So I wanted to take this chance to say thank you to our patrons. Thank you to our sun-like stars, Sharn Llewellyn, Lissa, and Peyton. I hope you're all happy and eating food that's better than whatever we're working with up here on the ISS. And thank you to our newest pre-main sequence star, Hannah. You can support us, hear your name on this pod, and make it to the Patreon star chart all by supporting us on Patreon for just about a dollar per episode. We're offering annual memberships. If you pay for a year up front, you also get a 13% discount. 1% for every constellation in the Zodiac. Find the star chart, Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or by going right to patreon.com slash palebluepod. And if you can't support us financially, that's fine. We love you. You are still space. Another great way to support the show is share us with your friends. And before we go back to the ISS with Moya, I want to recommend another fantastic podcast in the Multitude family. Spirits is a history and comedy podcast focused on everything folklore, mythology, and the occult, told through the lens of feminism, queerness, and modern adulthood. Every week, mythology buff Julia and her childhood best friend Amanda get together to learn about a different story from mythology and folklore over drinks. That's everything from the mythological origins of major franchises like Lord of the Rings and Wonder Woman to modern urban legends to a roundup of werewolf stories from around the world. There are even episodes that Moya and I have guested on. Start listening with any of the 300-plus episodes they've released over the last six years. And whether you're here for analysis of mental health or mythology or creepy modern ghost stories, there's so much to enjoy. I think you're going to love it. Dive in at spiritspodcast.com or search for Spirits wherever you download your podcasts. Okay, back to the show. What was the best part of writing the book to you? I think people often talk about, like, how kind of isolating or painful a a big writing project like this can be, but what was fun about it? Oh, yes. The most fulfilling part was after the writing when I got to see people's responses to the book, but Mm -hmm. um, the most fun part of of writing it was getting to be such a bitch. 
Like I, as as Dr. Moya, as a, a science communicator, I am very understanding. You know, there aren't really dumb questions. I want to talk to everyone, and I don't want to mm-hmm. assume any prior knowledge. But there is a kernel of of pettiness in my heart, and it was really cathartic to yeah. be able to get that onto the page to be able to talk about how dumb humans are. Because we are, yeah. <laughs> like I do, I do firmly believe that, um, and I I would never want to aim that at any individual or even like a like a group of individuals. No, but, but as a the, whole, yeah, the the Milky Way, this larger than life figure with a radically different perspective, can say that. And some people didn't understand that. Some people were really turned off by the tone of the Milky Way, mm-hmm. which is fair. Um, yeah, but it was cathartic to write, and it made sense given yeah. like all of the all of the time that I sat staring at a wall thinking about what a, a galaxy's psyche might actually be based on what what science we know like it would, it would be kind of a dick I think you're totally right especially this is a character who has no actual control on our behaviors and like the things mm-hmm. we're doing wrong and messing up potentially for everyone and or the things we're doing right so if it's just watching from this bird's eye view thing unable to really interfere I would also be a little annoyed I'm like I have this crystal clear view of what's going on and none of you are behaving the way you should (laughs) yeah it was also just fun to write about the Milky Way in a funny way I got to add jokes um yeah and (laughs) you know I'm not a comedian uh like Corinne but yeah yeah I'm funny and it Every once in a while when I'm feeling down, I'll like open the book and I'll see something that's just like really funny and I'll be like, mm-hmm. damn, you're so clever. Or I'll see something that is just like really well written and I'll be yeah. like, damn, you're so clever. And it, it, it's good. Do you ever open the book and you're like, I, I like you can't believe that you did that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not in a bad way, but just like a wow, I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that That's what I'm that that is. <laughs> the experience I'm trying to articulate because, um, you know, I have a lot of imposter thoughts yeah. and the type of work that I do doesn't always lend itself to receiving feedback. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I don't always know how well I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, but when I open this book after a long time, so I like don't I don't feel as uh, connected to yes. the writing anymore. I can more objectively be like, oh, that's good. Yes. And I know that it's more objective because it's not like I read everything and I'm like, this is all wonderful. Like, I also recognize where I could have done better. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are passages where I read that and I'm like, it's all right. It's your first book. Like, it's, yeah. you, you'll get better. Mm-hmm. That's funny, too, about writing. Um, at the end of writing a book, and it is it is a like largely isolating experience. So I think at the end of my book, I was like, I don't know what's funny, what's good anymore. Mm-hmm. I've been like pl- throwing this bit at a wall for so long. I'm so tired of it. I just couldn't, I didn't, I didn't have a great temperature on what, what it was. And I was very mm-hmm. trusting of my editor and, and everyone to tell me if something was off. Did anything surprise you about writing the book? Mm. Or the whole process? It doesn't have to be the writing yeah. part, but it could be like the pub post-publication. I think I was, I was surprised by the whole thing because I didn't really know what to expect. And yeah. they tried to tell me what the whole process was, but 
at the very beginning and there were so many steps and I was just like oh, okay fine just like tell me when I write the book <laughs> you right. and you, if you think too far ahead you're gonna like lose the yeah. thing you're on right now yeah yeah like they were trying to give me the whole map of the whole continent and I'm like please just tell me how to navigate to the other edge of this town <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, totally totally <laughs> um, but I I was surprised by how long it took yes I started working on the proposal I got that email in September of 2019 the book didn't come out until August of 2022. Mm-hmm. So um, it took a while and, and yeah. mine was pretty quick because I didn't have to do a, a lot of research. Right. There wasn't like a whole extra research step. So I was surprised by how long it took. I had never really worked with an editor before. So mm-hmm. I was surprised by how well another person was able to understand my vision and sure. make the thing I delivered closer to that vision. Yeah. Because I was so deep in the weeds by the time I turned in the full manuscript that I had lost sense of the bigger picture. And she really understood the bigger picture that I was going for. Yeah. So like one of the one of the chapters in this book, Crush, um, it's the chapter about the Andromeda uh, galaxy and the Milky Way's feelings about it. That was very different in the first draft of the book. It included uh, an objectively shitty love poem that the Milky Way wrote for Andromeda and it focused a lot more on like when I when I wrote it the first time I was so focused on trying to explain like what is love between galaxies mm-hmm. and like why does the Milky Way love Andromeda and the science got muddled in that sure, yeah. and just like the organization of it was all weird and she saw that and very gently mm-hmm. but Firmly, firmly, yeah. <laughs> uh, firmly told me that uh, it just wasn't going to work. And the end of the book was originally a plea for people to start talking more about the Milky Way, but it came off as a very um, like self-promotional, like share this book with other people. And she was like, oh, that's sure. not the right vibe to end on. She just, she just was really good at helping me make the thing that I told her I wanted to make in yes. March of 2020 when we first met. Yeah. When you're working on a project this big, it is so easy to lose the thread. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice to have somebody else who's like slightly detached and can help guide you back onto the course. Mm-hmm. She yeah. was that. She was great. Um, you mentioned, I think you've mentioned on the pod before that some of the data you included is now out of date. <laughs> yeah. Is there any updates that pop out to you now? Um, no, I think the, the really big one was the picture we took of Sagittarius A-star, which is the black hole, the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way. When I turned in the manuscript, we had not yet taken that image, and I didn't even realize that we were anywhere close to uh, oh, okay. revealing that image. So I, uh, the, there's a line in the book about how, haha, you haven't taken a picture of my black hole yet, but you got M87s. And by the time the book came out, that it was no done. longer true. But that's that's fine. It's not a big yeah. thing. I think like the number of exoplanets that I cited is going to be out of date. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I wrote it, we hadn't yet crossed 5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely have now. Okay, I want to ask about the translations of the Milky Way. It has been translated into Polish, Romanian, Spanish. Did I miss any? French. French. Hungarian. Hungarian. Turkish. Um, there was a German one, but they backed out. But we got what? to keep their money. Good. So it's fine. Um, were translations always 
a goal for this book? Or, I mean, I know it's like a long-term goal for any book, but how are you feeling when it started getting translated? We started getting um, translation deals before I even started writing the book. Like, as soon as they announced it, Mm -hmm. the international um, people caught wind of it, and we got a lot of offers right away. That's awesome. Which is really cool. Yeah. Because it was weird and uh, novel. Yeah. And they were interested. And it wasn't until long after the the book came out, I guess not long, it hasn't even been a full year, but it wasn't until after the book came out that they, the the translations were done because they needed time to actually translate them. And then they, all of the translations are coming out of their own individual publishing houses in those different countries. Um, So I've, I've been working with the different publishing houses on the new covers. Some of the translations have their own uh, distinct covers. Yeah, they're been, really cool. My uh, my favorite that I've seen so far is Chinese. Ooh, I didn't see yes. that one. Yeah, um, it's not it's not out yet, but yeah. I will. I'll send you a picture of the wait. cover after this. Oh, it's I think it's my favorite one yet. Yeah, but that process was really validating mm-hmm. because it's not super common for a first time author to get that many foreign translation deals. Um, It also happened pretty quickly, uh, which means my advance was more paid out faster than a typical debut author's um, Mm -hmm. advance gets paid out. That's awesome. So yeah, I felt good. How does it work for translations? Do you, do they have you proof anything at all? Like in an... I can't proof anything. Yeah, I was going to say, how would you possibly do that? I I don't even know how they translated my name into Chinese. Like I don't... I don't know what my Chinese name is, but yeah. like I, they typed it out on the page. Mm-hmm. Like I now have a name that is associated with some like concept. Mm-hmm. So that's a little a little weird that I don't actually know how they're going to be translated. Especially because there were some aspects of the book that were really important to me, and I I was very careful about them in English. But yeah. it's not very easy to take that care in other languages. Yeah. To me, it was very important that the Milky Way have no gender. I yeah. use it uh, throughout the book. And, you know, there were some times when I had to be extremely crafty in my in my writing so that things were clear when I wasn't right. using gendered pronouns. Sure. And I was very proud of that. Um, but I, I know some of the translations are going to be using gendered language. Yeah. So I, I feel some type of way about that, but I also have no real control over it. Yeah, that's a complicated task because you can't change a language that uses gendered words. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's like when I was a kid, I I didn't realize how complicated translations were. I think I just assumed all languages like one to one, and yeah. it's not at all. Nope. So you're really putting a lot of trust in the translator to understand the tone and the feeling and everything you're trying to communicate. Yeah, um, I'm a little nervous, but I, it's it's out of my control. Yeah, it's out of your um, control. It's kind of, yeah. you just have to dwell on how cool it is. But yeah, I'm just excited. And I have been thinking that maybe I could use it as some kind of like Rosetta Stone type thing oh, yes. <laughs> to learn all these other languages by reading the translations, because mm-hmm. I like, know what it should say in English. You know exactly what it's supposed to be <laughs> conveying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. That's a really good plan. Thank you. We'll see if I actually <laughs> do it, but thank you. Well, you have a long time. You have a long life ahead of you. You're right. I'll do it right now. I wanted to ask about your favorite section from the book. Um, I know we've asked other guests of ours about theirs, and I, yes. I'm sure you have one. I have so many. I have um, favorite little jokes 
yeah. and, and lines that I have um, in the, the section, in the chapter about how galaxies form and evolve. The, the Milky Way is talking about how it's born and it has a classic play on the, like, when babies, when kids ask how babies are made, like, what do you tell them? And the Milky Way says, like, don't worry, you can just tell uh, one of your little ones that when two galaxies love each other very much, they wrap <laughs> their arms around each other tight and a new galaxy is made. Um, leave the storks out of it, please. You know, like the Milky Way has that very sassy mm-hmm. request. Um, there's <laughs> there's a moment when in the chapter about the local group, which is the collection of galaxies that the Milky Way is a part of. Uh, the Milky Way describes it as its hometown. And so the chapter opens with the Milky Way saying, like, some of you have so much pride for your hometowns. Um, there's sports, there's food, whatever. But, like, what is a cheesesteak and what does it have to do with horses? Is <laughs> <laughs> a, a line that, like, I know doesn't actually really make much sense. Like, there's, like, the, surely the Milky Way understands the concept of like a, a homophone, mm-hmm. um, but but I just I just put it in there because it tickled me. Of um, course. I think on a previous episode, I read the way that I described quantum fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really proud of that explanation, um, comparing quantum fields to software packages on the back end of a computer. The one that I have been reading a lot when I do book events is from the very beginning and it's like the Milky Way introducing itself and I don't think I've read that on here. But no, it's you very, haven't. It's very big, like, we're so tiny, you are space energy. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the, the book, well, actually, there is a prologue. There's a foreword written by me, like actually by... Um, Moya, and I have a line that I I really like. I really I really want to read it word for word. Yes, please do. Okay, um, I, I'm talking about my experience growing up in my hometown, which was very rural, very conservative, very white in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, and how I knew I needed to get out of there. And so I say, you know, they're all they're all very nice, but I learned early on that my life would be better if I got myself out of there asap. Lucky for me, Harvard admissions officers are much fonder of bizarre, brilliant black girls than a lot of miners' sons were. Because um, <laughs> those miners' sons were mean. Oh, um, boy, I, got, <laughs> I have the chills. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I did actually meet that admissions officer, the one who was personally responsible for my application, oh. and I gave him a big old hug. Thank you, Mike. Um, he changed my life, truly. Yeah. Oh, I love. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Um, So yeah, this is the the first chapter from the Milky Way's perspective. Um, And the Milky Way says, everything you've ever seen or touched is a part of me. Yes, even you, you vain, filthy animal. Um, (laughs) This was, I wrote from the beginning. Like I started at the beginning and worked my way through the book. So this was the first thing that I wrote in the Milky Way's tone of voice that really felt like, like you vain, filthy animal. And as soon as I wrote that, I was like, yes, that is the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Milky Way goes on to say, I made it all. Not intentionally, of course. I have no need for chairs, and I really couldn't have cared less about whether or not one of my worlds produced life, especially in a form that was so picky about where it sat. (laughs) You humans just appeared one millennium, and then it took another several thousand years for me to actually notice you. I guess in some ways, I'm glad that I did. But if anyone else ever asks me, I will absolutely deny feeling any sort of affection for your fleshy species. <laughs> um, over the course of the book, the Milky Way does uh, warm up to, to humans and humanity. 
Before we get too far along, allow me to introduce myself. I am the Milky Way, home to more than 100 billion stars, and yet you still think yours is special enough to have its own name. And the 50 undecillion tons of gas between them. That's five followed by 37 zeros. I was going to say that's a number I'm not familiar with. (laughs) (laughs) The Milky Way, in a lot of parentheticals, likes to make fun of how complicated our language is and how uh, so many people like don't understand much of the language. The Milky Way says, I am space, I am made of space, and I am surrounded by space. I am the greatest galaxy who has ever lived. Whether I like it or not, our lives are intertwined. My existence is, of course, much more important to you than yours is to me. But over time, your kind has demonstrated that you aren't completely useless. (laughs) That really is just how the Milky Way introduces itself to the readers. With a bang. With a bang. Oh, I love it. Well, that is my questions for you. Oh, nice. That it is. I have a question for you. (gasps) Shoot. What are your thoughts on the illustrations? Do you have a favorite illustration from the book? Oh my god, that's such a good question. Because um, my illustrator for the book, um, her name is Anna Marie Salai. She is my oldest friend. Um, oh my god, I didn't know that. We were we met in third grade. This uh, September is going to be our twentieth anniversary of friendship, and <laughs> I knew that I wanted illustrations for this book because I wanted people to be able to picture the personified Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the idea popped into my head of having Anna do it, because she had recently started her own graphic design business and she was focusing on books, um, it was a no-brainer because those two little eight-year-old girls would go bananas over seeing their names on the cover of a book yeah. together. Um, so that's the story behind like who made the illustrations. I love that so much. So the one of the first, I think the one that's sticking out to me because it was, I guess, probably one of the first ones I came across besides like the chapter icons mm. is the one with the, the chest and the key. Because Ooh. it feels to me like um, my favorite kinds of like graphic novels that I've read or like like a little spooky but like simple and I just love it (laughs) yay oh I'm glad yeah that's in the secrets chapter yes um at the end where the Milky Way is I don't know why I said no no it's I think that might (laughs) actually be like the the last it might be the illustration that's in the chapter where the Milky Way is saying what humans are trying to figure out next Mm -hmm. because the whole conceit of the book is that the Milky Way is only telling readers what astronomers already know um, because it's kind of mad that astronomers have not been able to communicate their stuff well up until this point. (laughs) So that image is the Milky Way unlocking its chest of secrets. Mm -hmm. And there's a rose on the chest because I had just read that roses were like medieval symbolism for secrets. Ooh, I love that. I didn't know that. (laughs) So I I told Anna, like, last second, like, can you add a rose? That's (laughs) so fun. To make it a secret chest. I'm so glad you asked that because the illustrations are awesome. I'm always delighted when a book has, not like a picture book, but it still has those, like, charming things within it. It's Mm -hmm. always, I just love it. It makes it feel, like, so special to me. I think it really speaks to like my inner child who's just like reading and doing exactly what I wanted to be doing when I grew up. 
Yeah, we can do things in an adult medium that speaks to people's inner children. Yeah. Um, that's why I was so annoyed when the editors were like, this is such a, this is too childish of an idea. You have to write it for a young audience. Yeah, I think um, that when we like silo ideas like that, it it just makes things less fun. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you wait for the editor that works well with you. The and I think not everything is for everyone. And that makes those pairings of for to create a vision even more special because you're like you both can lock in really quickly like i like this idea mm-hmm. oh actually yeah. i don't know why i didn't think of i forgot about this illustration the chef like the oh. throwing the pizza of the of the <laughs> of I, the galaxy of the, the galaxy, galaxy pizza i love that that's like a tattoo i would get <laughs> thank you thank you i'm gonna tell anna that yeah please tell her i love you probably can you can totally get that tattooed if you want i yeah i definitely could um Big fan. Love it. Um, well, Moya's book, The Milky Way, is available wherever books are sold. And if yeah. you're not an English reader, it seems like there's a book out there for you, too. Mm-hmm. Although, if you read the Portuguese version, it will not have illustrations in it. They thought Ooh. the illustrations were too childish. Rude. Yeah. You'll have to buy two copies, then. An English oh, one. No. and no. A- <laughs> um, Okay, so listeners out there, get yourself a copy of the Milky Way paperback or hardcover or audiobook read by Moya if you can't get enough. <laughs> um, and remember, you are space. Oh, yeah, you are. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.